Welcome to Broadway World, Some Like a Pop podcast. I'm Matt Tamanini, Broadway World Senior TV and Film Critic. And as always, I am joined by the brains of our operation, Broadway World TV's Los Angeles Bureau Chief and everyone's favorite peep, Jennifer McHugh. Jen, we are recording on Saturday, March 26th, the day before Easter. You and I were both raised Catholic, so I would like to ask you a very serious, important question on this holiest of holy days. What is your favorite Easter candy? Um, Easter candy. I was always a big fan of the um, Reese's peanut butter eggs. Which is really just a peanut butter cup in an egg shape. That is correct. It's kind of a cop-out, but uh, that's fine. Um, Let's be honest, I'm not going to thumb my nose up at any kind of candy, but I like (laughs) these... They're the they're, they're hard to find now, but they're kind of hard marshmallow eggs that are different colors, and like on the inside, it's 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 like kind of the soft marshmallow. On the outside, it's a hard candy shell. They're hard to find now. You can only eat like two or three of them before you absolutely have to throw up. But I love them, and every year I look for them and can never find them. Well, a fun fact is is that I do not have a sweet tooth. I don't like chocolate or sugar really. Um, I'm all about the salt. Who are you? <laughs> Anyway, you can follow... What's that? I'm fascinating. You're fascinating. Whatever. You can follow Jen on Twitter at EponineQ. That's E-P-O-N-I-N-E-Q. And you can follow me at Matt. That's B-W-W-M-A-T-T. You can read us both across various Broadway World sites. And now, super special, you can follow Some Like It Pop on Twitter at S-L-I-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. That's at Slip Podcast. Someone else had Some Like It Pop at some party planning company in the uk so until we have enough money to buy it off of them slip podcast is where you can find us on twitter we're not so good at that yet but now that i finally got jen to write down the account password hopefully we will both be tweeting from that handle more uh, as well at least we'll send out all of our articles about stuff and then retweet things that we think are interesting jen can you handle that for the record i do not know what it is <laughs> i know you've told me at least six times no yes. idea Okay. I would tell you right now, but I'd have to edit it out, so I'll wait till later. Uh, not only can you find all of our episodes of Some Like It Pop on BroadwayWorld.com, but you can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So please go to one or all of those apps and subscribe so that you can get every episode of Some Like It Pop as soon as it's available. Then rate and review the show so that Jen and I have something tangible to keep us warm at night. On this episode, with movies of any discernible quality, few and far between at this point in the, the theatrical calendar, we dive deep into what we're watching on TV and what we're looking forward to watching watching on TV, and we even share a few theater-related notes. Then, as always, we will close out the episode with show and tell. Now, Jen, a couple of weeks ago, we did a special episode on the wonderfulness that is the NCAA basketball tournament, and then those damn state Spartans went and ruined the whole damn thing. So, Jen, before we get into the pop culture stuff, how is your bracket doing? Well, I think it's clear from the way our brackets are doing is that we're better at predicting Oscar and Emmy wins than March Madness, as we were both eliminated day two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, my other than the fact that I chose State to win and they lost literally in their first game to Middle Tennessee State, other than that, I'm doing pretty well. I went 24-8 and eight in the first round, and I've got uh, – I had 11 of the Sweet 16, and the other three of my final four picks are still alive, but – Everything from the state of is damn disappointment and a disgrace to everything that is good and holy in this world. So, other than that, my, my bracket's doing okay, but of course, when you lose your champion in the first round, you're done. No chance to win from there. Yeah, I mean, my my Irish are still alive, which, I mean, as much as I'm a big fan of them, I never saw them in the Elite Eight, and I'm sure they will be eliminated tomorrow, but that's been really fun to watch for me. Not for you, because I know you hate them. I do. But... It was nice to see also a 10 and 11 game last night, even though 
the evil Syracuse one, um, <laughs> that seems to be the really only interesting story left is that the hated Syracuse number 10 is going to go up against a giant tomorrow, but more than likely be eliminated. It's probably one of those rare years where four number ones may be in the final four. This is how the story of the NCAA tournament always works. The first weekend, maybe even just the first two days, are all about the Cinderella's, the the upsets, the underdogs. But when you get to the second weekend and even into the final four especially, it's usually teams with very tiny numbers next to their names. Ones, twos, threes, maybe some fours. Like you said, it's, it's rare when all four number ones make it. But generally by this point in the tournament, it is very highly seeded teams. So when you do get a double-digit seed going this far, it is fun to watch. But... The NCAA tournament is not the only bracket that is of note for us this week. To coincide with the NCAA tournament, we announced that over on our brand new Twitter account that we still suck at, we will be running our own March Madness bracket, counting down the best of 90s and 2000s TV and movies. We are currently down to our Sweet 16, and the voting through Twitter poll will resume again on Wednesday at noon. Uh, hopefully this episode will be up before then, so if you haven't followed us on Twitter, please do so so you can get your votes in. Our plan was to give away some prizes to the person who predicted the eventual champion, but since our brackets have been a little bit wackadoodle, only one person is still in the running. We didn't have a whole lot of people respond, but you still have time. So if so, if that last remaining pick, which I won't say what it is yet, doesn't make it to the Final Four, we will be opening it up to new champion predictions, and then we'll be giving away the prizes one way or the other. So make sure you're following us on Twitter, SLIP Podcast, and then vote, and then pay attention to see if we open up the uh, predictions to give away prizes at that point. Jen, I'm going to read through the Sweet 16 matchups in our bracket. Uh, by region, and I want you to get your real quick thoughts on them. Uh, I don't want you to predict it because I don't want you to uh, influence the listeners, but I'll read through all of the Sweet 16 and then kind of give me your thoughts based on uh, how our listeners and Twitter followers have voted. In the 2000s TV region, we have an unbelievable number 16, Veronica Mars, taking on number 5, Arrested Development. Number 11, The Big Bang Theory versus number 7, Lost. Over in 90s TV, we have number 5, Friends versus number 3, Beverly Hills 90210. Then we have number 2, Seinfeld versus number 1, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. In 2000s movies, we have number 1, The Collective Lord of the Rings trilogy versus number 5, Memento, which I apparently have trouble spelling on Twitter. And number three, The Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind versus number 15, Iron Man. Then finally, in the 90s movies region, we have number one, Pulp Fiction versus number 13, The Shawshank Redemption. And number two, Clueless versus number three, Fargo. Jen, do you have any reactions to what's shaping up to to be a very interesting Sweet 16 in our TV and movie bracket? Well, I do love the the Cinderella story of Veronica Mars. That's really enjoyable. It makes me uh, have faith. But I think that's a really good represent, representation of those two decades. Yeah, I think that's good. I think it's uh, got a little bit of everything. We've got everything from Clueless doing well to Pulp Fiction to Lord of the Rings to Eternal Sunshine. I think this is a, a really good representation, and it shows that the very small number of people that have voted so far are very smart and deserve to get prizes when this is all said and done. So we've got that voting. Go to SLIP Podcast on Twitter and make sure that you are around to vote when the Sweet 16 starts happening on Wednesday. All right, we are in a slightly odd time in the pop culture calendar where great TV shows are both premiering and concluding their seasons. So today we're going to spend most of our time talking about some of the shows that we are currently watching and what we're looking forward to watching in the very near future. 
Jen, the one we're going to start with isn't really a TV show, but it was recently released on Netflix, and I know you were really excited about it. We previewed it. We mentioned it a few weeks ago. I have not watched it because I thought the trailer looked awful and it would ruin some of my uh, favorite childhood memories, but you did watch Pee-wee's Big Holiday, so how did that go? I did, and it was exactly what I wanted it to be. It was just enjoyable. I had a goofy smile on my face the whole time. He still rides that line between adorable and creepy that I so enjoy. <laughs> and I, there's just a lot of silly moments. There's a lot of uh, large Marge moments where you're like, what just happened? I think they did a really good job with it. I enjoyed it immensely. What is the basic premise of Pee-wee's Big Holiday? The basic premise is that Joe Mangiello, how do you say his name? Right. So I don't know. Sophia Vergara's husband. Yes. He, as playing himself, rides into town and hits it off with Pee-wee. They just become good friends. And he invites him to his birthday party in New York, of which Pee-wee doesn't want to go because he doesn't like to leave his hometown. And Joe encourages him, you know, you got to get out there and have an adventure. And so he does. He takes off in his car and goes on an adventure and runs into a lot of crazy characters on the way and um, as he heads to New York City to attend the birthday party. And it's just silly and it's it's exactly what you think it is. There's there's no surprises. It was it was very enjoyable. All right. So you're telling me I need to watch it. No, I I don't think you'll like it at all. But I I, t- I told you I liked Pee Wee stuff when I was a kid. So you still don't think I'm gonna I'm this is gonna be my kind of thing then. Huh? I don't. Mm-mm. Okay. Well maybe I'll skip it. <laughs> Either way, I'm going to stick to Netflix and talk about something that I've been uh, diving into this week. I'm only about three and a half episodes into the second season of Marvel's Daredevil. The reviews from people who've watched all of it have been a little mixed. They talked about the middle of the season being a little slow. I haven't gotten to the middle of the season yet. So the first three, four episodes that I've watched have been really, really interesting. Um, What Daredevil did in the first season that was better than almost any other superhero-related TV or movie is their fight scenes. And there is some incredible fight scenes so far in this season. In the third episode, there's a fight over multiple flights of stairs going up and down that looks like one single tracking shot. I don't know if it is. I don't know if there was some really creative cutting or not, but it looked like one tracking shot, and it was fantastic. Daredevil is a martial arts expert, so there's a lot of hand-to-hand combat. There's There are some gun play in this specific fight scene and a lot more because the Punisher is part of this season, but the hand-to-hand combat scenes are fantastic. They're brutal, they're bloody, and they're a lot of fun. What's interesting about Daredevil is that it does a much better job of handling some of the exact same issues that Batman vs. Superman does. Batman and Superman, as we're going to talk about here in a, a little bit later in the show, really struggles with those same things. It talks about the line between justice and vengeance and who has the right to seek revenge and what does revenge constitute and what does justice constitute. So it's a really interesting thing. Daredevil, the character, is Catholic, and he's, he relies a lot on his priest. We saw that in the first season. We see it more in the second season. So it is really interesting to see. It's really interesting to see how that kind of colors this otherwise pretty brutal character. And I will say that even though the Netflix Marvel stuff is a lot darker than what you see on the big screen, <laughs> Eldon Henson, who plays Foggy Nelson, the the partner of daredevil's matt murdoch character who's a lawyer his his lawyer partner 
is hilarious and great. You might know Eldon Henson from Mighty Ducks movies and the last two uh, Hunger Games movies. He's really, really great. And he, to me, is the best character on there because he's just this kind of schlubby guy who finds himself, you know, kind of covering and working with a masked superhero vigilante so it's a lot of fun if you if you enjoyed the first season of daredevil so far in the first three or four episodes that i've seen i think you're gonna like that one as well jen i know you didn't watch the first season or did you not make it through it at all or did you start i didn't watch uh the first season no i only watched jessica jones it was kind of an accident um (laughs) i watched the pilot like oh i'll just watch it to shut my roommate up and then i wound up really getting into it but i never delved into daredevil all right I, I it's great. So if if you find nothing else to do, you should start at the beginning. It's really good. And there are some tie-ins between Daredevil and Jessica Jones and then back again. So I don't know how you can miss part of the Marvel Cinematic <laughs> Universe knowing that everything missing one thing, the whole enterprise can collapse on top of you. Anyway. Well, I know that, you know, I have nothing but tie-in. I'm always looking for more television shows to add to my schedule. So. Yeah. The 20 that you currently have aren't enough. 20? Try 30. Holy <laughs> hell. You have a problem. You have a serious problem. Fortunately, one of those shows that I know is on your schedule, because you recap it on a weekly basis over at Broadway World TV, uh, ends this coming weekend, Sunday, April 3rd, and that is the sixth, sixth season of Shameless. Yeah. All right. I'm about three episodes okay. behind, so I need to catch up before the before the season finale. But this has been an interesting year—a year of a lot of changes for the Gallagher's over at uh, over at Shameless. Jim, why don't you kind of give us a, a look at what's been going on, and then what to expect going into the season finale this weekend? Uh, it has been a big season for a lot of changes. You know, in season five, we saw the last two seasons. We've seen like these downward spirals of Fiona and and Carl and Ian and and Lip was kindly, finally kind of taking the lead in the family and starting to be the grown-up and starting to take care of things. And this season, it's it's kind of reversed, where Fiona and Ian have have really started to, to get their shit together, and Lip has started to fall into a downward spiral. And Carl has just run an exact roller coaster of emotions, being literally hitting rock bottom and um, starting to come out of it on top. So... As per usual, the entire Gallagher family is just turned upside down. Frank, nowhere to be found. Debbie has having a baby. Um, Ian is finally in this grown-up relationship where he's treated with respect and admiration, and he's learning how to navigate that. And Carl witnessing the horrific um, loss of a friend through watching him <laughs> murder a little child and um, coming out from that being straight edge. So... It's been really interesting, and I I don't always love Fiona as a character, but she's very, very flawed, and sometimes I think her flaws overtake her goodness. And being in this relationship with Sean, with, um, what's his name, Dermot Mulroney, mm-hmm. he, um, it's, it's really seemed to kind of focus her and make her grow up a little bit and, and be able to detach from being the mother to all her brothers and sisters. So that's been an interesting turnaround for her. And my beloved Lip, who has always been my favorite character, um, watching him just fall into these pits of stupid choices, it's it's hard to watch, but I, I love watching him as an a- actor. What's his name? Jeremy? Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not sure of his name off the top of my head, but he is, what's interesting about Lip is that he's always kind of been the smart one to get himself out, and then he goes to college and make these terrible decisions, and then he just kind of realized that, oh yeah, he's still a Gallagher. Yeah. 
Um, and actually, Carl has been really interesting lately. I, I thought he was kind of just a background character for the first few seasons, and then all of a sudden they gave him this really interesting plot line, and he's turned into quite a little actor, and um, he's been my favorite person to watch this year. Very cool. Well, I'm looking forward to it, and it has been renewed for another season. So It has. Um, Fiona and Sean are engaged, so I'm guessing that the season will end with their wedding, but I also feel that something huge is going to happen because... It's Even shameless. though there's been ups and downs, <laughs> there hasn't been a huge event. Um, so I feel like something's going to happen before or at that wedding. Yeah, that, that could be interesting. We'll see what happens. Interestingly enough, uh, Fiona's erstwhile husband, Gus, has now turned up over on Nashville, where he is also playing a musician. And, of course, that's Tony winner Steve Kazee. So he's going from one soapy, dramatic show where he plays a musician to another one where he is now going to be touring with Will Chase's uh, Luke Wheeler. So uh, so that's fun to see him kind of bounce back and forth between stuff. Another show that has some music in it that, that I know you enjoy, Jen, is, is Vinyl. As I said when we previewed it, it was very tough for me to get through the pilot, so I did not stick with it. So catch us up on what's going on with Vinyl. I did, and you know, I had a conversation with another person last night who was like you and watched the pilot and was turned off. And... um. For me, I liked the pilot, and I told you it was really my era, but as it's gone on and we've really learned about these characters, you know, Bobby Cannavale is not just some washed-up um, white guy with problems who still manages to be good at his job. He's got a lot of demons, and this most recent episode, um, well, it would be last Sunday's when this airs, and you really find out what's going on with him in his head and why his wife is truly afraid for him. It was kind of earth shattering. Like all of a sudden this show had real substance and real issues and no pun intended. <laughs> and um, with, the with the introduction of Funk into the storyline, um, the character of Hannibal, who is loosely based on Sly Stone. Mm -hmm. And um, I got to interview him and we talked a lot about how important Funk is in that era and how it's going to be woven into the classic rock and the punk rock as all these new styles are starting to emerge out of the 70s. So even though maybe the pilot kind of gave you this, like, uh, another one of these exactly. Yeah, and that's what I thought. It's really kind of taken on a life of its own and made it not – Richie's not an anti-hero and he's not a villain, but I don't know what he is. Like, I don't know whether to root for him or – really really feel bad for him or it's it's very interesting i always walk away from every episode like wow and i think about it for days you're talking about the sly and the family stone character and that's played by is it dj watts it's played by daniel j watts daniel j yeah i think he goes by dj sometimes if not i he should because that's a cool name um but you got to talk to him and uh, you were already excited about it and then you realized <laughs> that he had a connection to something that you love tremendously right Yes, his PR person sent me over his bio, and I realized he was in the ensemble of Hamilton, and oh, he okay, called yeah. me from backstage. <laughs> so, you know, I was cool, um, <laughs> didn't squeal or anything, and uh, he was super, super nice, and I gushed and said I wanted to talk to him about Hamilton for four hours, but my editor had threatened me, and... Um, the, the the best part for me was after I posted the article, it was on the Monday that the entire cast was at the White House, and he tweeted me to thank me from the White House. So, you know, that was cool. Yeah. So you're, so you're kind of like 
a degree or so away from the president. That is correct. And Lin-Manuel Miranda. <laughs> so, well, yeah, that kind of goes without saying. Hand yeah, hand. Which someday Lin-Manuel Miranda very well could be the president of the United States. Who knows? Got my vote. <laughs> Shocking. Moving on, Jen, I threw this one in the lineup here because it's a show I watch, and I'm 95% sure you watch How to Get Away with Murder. I know you recap Scandal, but you watch How to Get Away with Murder as well, correct? Yes. Okay, we just had recently, I think, uh, on the 17th, I believe we had the season finale, the second season finale of How to Get Away with Murder, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Um, For me, it's always entertaining. Nothing in this entire show ever makes a damn bit of sense, but it's entertaining, and you can kind of follow along with the plot line. I'm a little concerned that the way that this show tells its stories with all the flashbacks and all the reveals and all the, you know, the information being hidden that it might kind of collapse under the weight of its own uh, ever expanding plot but i enjoy it i think this is you know it's it's a shondaland show even though she's not necessarily the showrunner or creator but i like it i just don't know how sustainable something with that complex of a, of a narrative structure can be what do you what did you think of this second season of how to get away with murder i actually wrote down that word uh, sustainable because I, I i wonder that too as they start to expand upon the lives of the characters involved now. And I also wrote a word that doesn't exist called very Shanda-y where (laughs) everybody's kind of starting to sleep with each other and like couples are getting mixed and matched. And you're like, really would that character really sleep with that character? Like it's very, very soapy. Um, Am I entertained? Are you talking about like, like uh... Michaela? Yeah, Michaela and Asher. And, damn it, I don't, yeah, I don't even like this thing. I don't even know their names. Exactly. It's that I, every one single that week, one, I don't care. Every week, I look up their names. Like, what's her name again? And I've been watching it for two years, so I'm not yeah. invested. Where when it comes on, like everyone's like, it's must watch Thursday TV, and I I don't feel that way. Like I put it off till Friday or Saturday, and it entertains me, but it's not something I am. Uh, it's I wouldn't put it on my list of number one shows. So yeah. it, it's fine. <laughs> I, I don't hate it. It's just there, and I watch it. Um, I'm intrigued enough. I love Viola Davis and a lot of the supporting actors. I love Matt McGorry as Asher. He's one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter. Um, mm. But I, I, t- I tune in, but the second season did feel a little bit off the rails. Yeah, I mean, I think they wrapped it up well where they kind of brought everything together where it had a nice little bow like the first season did. Obviously, there's going to be plenty of issues with, I don't want to spoil a whole lot, but the end of this season left things open for the, for the third season. But it's just, you know, like I said, I don't even know half the characters' names, and I don't care. They're not, you know, you know Annalise Keating, but really, other than that, could you name three characters by their names? Like, to me, it's still Paris Geller. I don't know what her real name is on the show. Uh, she's just Paris from Gilmore Girls. So, I'm yeah. with you. And then there's the there's the there's the Asian hacker guy who's in the King and I on Broadway. I don't know his name on the show. <laughs> and uh, but, the kid from Harry Potter, which is the main kid, um, Wes. Oh, I I I never seen any of the Harry Potter movies. So. He's a British guy from the Harry Potter movies, and that's one of the main reasons I tuned in. All right, interesting. All right, so I'm glad to know we're on the same page. I enjoy the hell out of it, but it's just it's like, oh my god, how can they keep this up and not like these people? How many people have these uh, have these law students killed already? How are they going to kill someone else for the third season? It's true. And I always wonder about the other students in her class. Are they like, <laughs> are you ever going to call on us? <laughs> yeah. Well, you saw very, very little of her in class this season, um, which is kind of like, these are still supposedly law students with all of the, 
you know, machinations of trying to get away with murder, when do they actually study? Like, it, it mm-hmm. seems impossible that they actually have time to actually pass their classes. But then again, with real world experience, like covering up murders and stuff, I guess they probably know more than most of their classmates anyway. Uh, speaking of getting away with murder, um, spoiler alert, uh, I have been binge watching the fourth season of House of Cards, and I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it because we talked about it before the season started, but Jen, I do agree with your with your roommate. I'm about halfway through, and I have enjoyed this season much more than I enjoyed the third season. It's it's really kind of creepy, and this is this show's obviously been in the can for a while. They filmed a while ago. How many threads of this story are playing out in our actual presidential election right now? Makes me a little uncomfortable. Uh, they have everything from a contested convention. They have a um, you know, some of these weird, uh, I don't want to get, like I said, I don't want to give too much away, but they have all these other different things that makes it seem like they are writing it as we speak. And obviously it's been in, uh, it's been filmed for a while. So I am enjoying it. So someone to, just to follow up on our conversation from a few weeks ago, if you were kind of worn down by the third season of house of cards, uh, after you get through the first two or three episodes of this season where I said, you know, I don't like Claire and Frank not on the same side. They do find a way to kind of come back together for the good of each other. Uh, they might not be the exact same, but they kind of do, and that's when the season really picks up for me. So House of Cards season four, I'm about halfway through. Uh, I'll go ahead and give a thumbs up as uh, in terms of where I am now. Okay, I, I do intend to get back to it. It's just, you know, that's what summertime's for. Yeah, and it's and, and what's cool about the show, too, is that there's a lot of just random theater people that show up in it, like... Uh, Anne Harada uh, from uh, from Avenue Q played Christmas Eve in Avenue Q played one of the stepsisters in Cinderella. She was the stage manager on Smash. She shows up as like a delegate on the convention floor uh, at the presidential convention. And then the great Mark Kudish is a senator. Uh, he, I think he was actually in a little bit of the third season as well. So it's just all these different people. Um, Reed Bernie is the vice president. So there's all these great Broadway people that show up in this show because it tapes on the East Coast so they can do that. Um, a show that decidedly does not tape on the East Coast, Jen, that I know you enjoy quite a bit is, and I'm going to spell this, is S C. H-I-T-T apostrophe S Creek. So Shit's Creek. I, I believe it's a Canadian short. I haven't watched it, but I know it's supposedly like the funniest thing on Canadian TV. It is. I ad- I adore it. It's Catherine O'Hara is probably my favorite actress. And uh, anytime she teams up with Eugene Levy, it's just magic. Um, any Christopher Guest movie, anything, I'm always going to tune in. But I saw this trailer last year randomly for this this story and it's do you know what it's about or do you know all about it no i know very very little so basically they're a millionaire family and they lose everything and the only asset that they are able to retain is this joke town that eugene levy bought for his son called Shit's creek he thought it was funny so it's the only thing they have so they all have to move to this little hick town in the middle of nowhere and the mayor is played by chris elliott and his name is roland shit <laughs> <laughs> and oh it seems just, right seems right for chris elliott yeah dan levy plays their son who is eugene levy's real life son and he created it and writes it and there's a lot of supporting characters that you find in crazy weird towns and just to see i mean it would be like if, if this happened to the kardashians and they had to move to a town in the middle of kentucky with nothing and just to watch them navigate 
this small town mentality with their big Hollywood um, mentalities. And Catherine O'Hara, I mean, she wears a different wig in every episode and she's very, very <laughs> refined. And I mean, just this last week, she auditioned for the town choir by scatting. <laughs> just, I can't recommend it. It shows on the pop network, which I had never heard of before this, but I, I, I highly recommend it. If you, if you like this kind of comedy, it's very, very dry, very, very subtle. But these two are just, they give clinics and comedic acting. So I know you don't actually have cable, so how do you watch it? Or should I not ask that question just in case the authorities are listening? I, I will decline to state, but I, I can attain it. <laughs> Great. Nothing to see here, NSA, or yeah, whatever. Anyway, something that I know that you probably do watch fairly legally that unfortunately you are not going to get to watch anymore. HBO has canceled the comedy from, a, uh, from is it the, the Dunlap brothers or how do you say Duplass. that? Or the, what's their last <laughs> Duplass Dunlap. I don't know what the hell it is. Is the TV show togetherness. It was just announced that they will not move forward with the third season. Yeah. That's, that's pretty sad. I, I'm a big fan of the Duplass brothers. They've, they've done some projects together. I really liked, I enjoyed their movie. The one I love. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, another know. movie they just did called the Manson family vacation, all little indie movies that are on VOD that are interesting. And, um, Mark, was a recurring character on the league and as well as the Mindy project. Mm -hmm. And Jay has a, a main role on the Amazon's transparent and they're very creative and very good together. And this show was just about people struggling in their lives in their early forties. And unfortunately I get that. <laughs> so I was really <laughs> invested in these characters and how they were dealing with life. So I'm sad that they're not going to move forward. I understand that it's probably a, not a broad audience, but it worked for me, so it was sad to hear. I'm sorry for your loss. Oh, I, I think I'll, I'll recover, but I uh, okay. it's just freeze up a half an hour on Sunday nights. <laughs> well, with your 473 shows, I'm sure you'll have something to fill the void. Oh, a mighty wind's a-flowing, it's kicking up the sand, it's blowing out a message to everyone, child and man. All right, we are back here on Some Like It Pops. We do mostly talk about pop culture, but as Jen and I have talked about before, we are extreme theater lovers, and obviously as a Broadway World podcast, there were a few theater-related stories we wanted to talk about. The first was, about a, from the time this comes out, about two weeks ago, the Roundabout Theater Company's latest revival of the Bach and Harnick musical She Loves Me opened to rave reviews, starring Tony winner Laura Benanti and erstwhile Chuck Barkowski, Zachary Levi, you also have Tony winner Jane Krakowski, Peter Bartlett, who was Nigel on One Life to Live for like 25 years. Uh, got great reviews, and you, apparently you, you're telling me you, you wouldn't share what it was, but you have a little She Loves Me story you wanted to talk about. Yes, I um, saw the 1994 revival in the West End of London that wound up sweeping the Olivier Awards that year. They won Best Musical Revival, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, and Best Director, and it was choreographed by a young guy named Rob Marshall. Um, I was on a theater study tour. And we got to go backstage and meet Ra, um, Ruthie Henshaw, who played the main character, and right. John Gordon Sinclair, who at the time, they were engaged. Oh. Yes, it was very exciting. And Ruthie Henshaw, I saw a few years later on the 10th anniversary of Les Mis, she played Fontaine in the concert version. She did. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was the Dream Team uh, Les Mis concert they did. Yeah, it was my favorite. My favorite recording ever. Yeah, very cool. All right, well, good. Actually, ironically, on the very night that Roundabout's Revival was opening on Broadway, I went to the opening night production down here in Orlando at University of Central Florida's Theater UCF production. Obviously not the same as seeing the goddess Laura Benanti on stage, but I was pretty impressed with, with the production down here at UCF. I, you know, I talk a lot about when I talk about theater down here in Orlando, generally I talk about the colleges because they really are fantastic. So not the same as going and seeing all those big stars with a big multi-million dollar production value, but a great show. If, you, if you're not familiar with She Loves Me, it's it's one of those classic musical gems that's underappreciated and uh, is much, much better than that terrible movie you've got mail that is based on the same source material. So, However, I would go visit the original movie, The Shop Around the Corner. That's the first movie version. It's, they're all based on a Hungarian play, uh, and uh, The Shop Around the Corner was based on that play, which was, I, I don't speak Hungarian, but I'm going to go Pafumoli. Yeah, yeah, you're you're much better on the Eastern European languages than I am. But I do love the shop around the corner. That's Jimmy Stewart, so you can't really go wrong. No, of course not. Um, Sticking in the theatrical world, Jen, it's like we can't go more than 10 minutes without talking about Hamilton. There are a few Hamilton peripherally related items that are going to be soon available. So why don't you let us know about that. Let us know how long ago you got on the pre-order list and... (laughs) What type of advent calendar do you have counting down the days until it arrives? Well, there's three things coming out that I'm super excited about. There's a fourth, but that's not coming to the fall. Um, And that is the documentary behind the scenes that they've been filming for the last two years. That's going to air on PBS this fall. Right. So I have a ways to wait for that. The other three things are the mixtape that uh, Lin-Manuel is working on with Questlove as he's um, incorporating modern artists and hip hop and, and, in modern music to record not only songs from Hamilton, but also songs inspired by Hamilton. So they haven't given a release date to my knowledge. Do you, have you heard anything? It's just this spring is what they're saying. Yeah. It was pretty generic, but I'm looking forward to that. And then the Hamilton book comes out on April 12th, which will arrive at my door that morning. I've already pre-ordered it. I pre-ordered as well. So I I can't throw (laughs) too much shade. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. But for me, as a musical director, I am most excited about this Tuesday. They are releasing, finally, the vocal selections from Hamilton. The book is coming out. Um, So I've been plunking out the notes. You know, I can can play the beginning of Wait For It, and I can play the beginning of Stay Alive. But I'm really excited to get the actual sheet music in hand to learn the chord progressions and the music. And I just like looking at music. I think it's very pretty. And who knows? Maybe a tattoo will evolve out of that. Oh, holy <laughs> First off, I didn't know you played piano or read music. So that's another thing to talk about at some oh, point. Yes. Nearly 40 years now. <laughs> wow. You are old. <laughs> um, yep. Sure am. All right, good. I I pre-ordered the Hamiltone, as it's called online, months ago, so I almost forgot that I'd ordered it until you said that. So uh, I'll be looking forward to that here in a couple weeks. But the world is becoming awash with Hamilton-related and inspired merchandise and memes, and you really can't turn your head without seeing Hamilton stuff. So I assume that's a world you are very happy to live in. I am. I um. I've reached across the aisle and, and spoken to our friends over at the Hamilcast, and everybody's really excited about this show. And for once, when something's really hyped, it's worth it. And I'm really excited for you to get to see it. Is that ever going to happen? 
eventually. I mean, if I if I ordered tickets for the New York production now, I could probably get them by 2019. I think so. I think you should do that. I think the best bet for me actually would be to wait until the whole tour schedule is announced to see the closest available option, since I am over a thousand miles from New York and getting tickets three years in advance can be cumbersome, but, uh, but we'll see. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it just as, as quick as I can, but chunking down a thousand bucks for secondhand tickets is, uh, not something that I have any desire to do at this point. Well, it would be worth it. I know. I'm sorry. I apologize to Jillian over at the Hamilcast as well. Hey everybody, welcome to the Hamilcast. Hello, welcome back. I am Jillian. And Bianca. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm okay, how are you? (laughs) I'm good. We're sitting like closer to each other than we normally do. We're just going to keep progressively getting closer to each other. (laughs) Well, we have, I'm really excited. I feel like I'm going to say that every Every time episode, but I feel like, you know how late night people are always like, we have a great show for you today and you wish they'd they'd change it up a little bit, but I get it because that's how I feel every single time. I'm just always like... Really, Jimmy Fallon? Are you that excited yeah. every single night? All right, let's turn our attentions back to TV. Uh, over the next few weeks, there are some TV shows and some other TV-related things that will be coming back to our screens. The first is the second season of The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. We've talked about this show many times before. It was one of my favorite shows of 2015, so I won't spend a whole lot of time on it. But I couldn't be more excited for the second season to debut on Netflix on April 15th on tax day. So you file your taxes. You're like, Oh, my life sucks. Oh wait, undateable Kimmy Schmidt is back on Netflix. So you have something to look forward to. The show was ungodly funny in the first season uh, about a young woman who is (laughs) ironically, we're going to talk more about a very similar concept here in a second, but a woman who lives in an underground bunker after she is told that the world has ended for like 15 years. And when she comes out, she is now a 30 year old who has no idea how to be a grown up adult. And Ellie Kemper as Kimmy Schmidt is fantastic. Titus Burgess is great as her, uh, as her very flamboyant roommate, Carol Kane, Jane Krakowski, who we mentioned in she loves me. It's just an unbelievable cast from Tina Fey and Robert Carlock. It's, it's one of the best shows on TV. So I will be binging, this on april 15th probably from start to finish without stopping uh while i'm working that day so i'm looking forward to this i i haven't heard anything about what the second season is going to be about what's going to happen but i'm very excited for this and then it's already been renewed for a third season so there's plenty more unbreakableness to come yes i started rewatching it um the other night i always like to do a quick rewatch when something's about to premiere so i'm gonna rewatch kimmy schmidt and then i'm gonna rewatch veep but you know just a mere year later it still holds up yeah it's it's damn funny like if i had to pick two comedies to watch it's interesting that in the last year you've got unbreakable kimmy schmidt and angie tribeca who are these weird goofy female driven shows that are not only have driven by females on screen but females off screen those are probably two of my favorite comedies that have debuted on TV in a long, long time. And they've come out within a year of each other with these great female leaders. And I would, I would just watch those two comedies if I had to pick two. Well, let's save that for an upcoming list. (laughs) Ah, okay. Well, maybe spoilers, spoilers. All right. So, uh, this is not a comedy, but a very female-powered show. Jen, you and I have talked before about broadcast primetime soaps that involve music. You watch Empire. 
I Wash Nashville, and Nary the Two Shall Meet. The second half of the second season of Empire returns on March 30th, which might be tonight, might be tomorrow, depending on how quickly we get this out. But catch us up on where we were at the end of the first half of season two and what to expect when it returns to Fox this week. So at the season, the mid-season finale of Empire, um, the record company had come into a little bit of trouble. So they had come into a, a partnership with an invest, an investor played by Marissa Tomei. And what had happened is, is that she was actually married to the character played by Naomi Campbell, who was also Hakeem's ex-girlfriend who really just wanted to screw over Lucius. And she did. So now Naomi Campbell is in charge of the record company. Uh, Lucius has been outed by the board and cookie had opened up a rival record company and that's where Hakeem is signing after he's dropped his last name Lion to again offend Lucius but the big cliffhanger was that Dre's wife very pregnant Rhonda was shoved down the stairs and is probably dead so that's a big spoiler but as we come back I I don't know I can't see her surviving that fall so it'll be interesting to see where they go from here whether Lucius can retain the company and what's going to happen with the rival record company but you know, it's always a good day when you get to see a Cookie Lion performance, and so I'm excited to have it back. You don't watch it, do you? No, my head hurts just listening <laughs> to that. I'm so confused. Well, that's how I feel about Nashville. Yeah, um, no, it's the same thing. It's not that, like, oh, my God, I can't believe that storyline. It's like, I can't keep it straight. My head hurts trying to follow what you're saying. But, yeah, it's the same thing. Soap operas are very much uh, meant to be complicated because everything changes on a dime just based on the whims of, of these bizarre dramatic characters. So I understand that. It is. And it's all about the shock value. And the good thing is, is that like they get some yeah. really good guest stars on that show. They, they've had Alicia Keys last year and they had um, Swizz Beats and um, Chris Rock and, and there's always some really good music that comes out of it. And I, I know I prefer R and B and hip hop to you that more than you do. So I, I really enjoy the show. It's, it's definitely more your speed in terms of music than mine. Then again, I watch Nashville and I'm not necessarily really a big country fan, but uh, different strokes for different folks. But another show that we're both looking forward to that looks to be very dramatic, but really neither one of us knows much about it because we haven't seen any screeners is a new show called the path that is debuting on Hulu on March 30th, which again, might be today, might be coming up. I, who knows when this episode comes out? Remember with Hulu that they premiere one episode at a time. So if you're watching 11:22:63 on Hulu, it just comes out once a uh, once a week on Mondays, as opposed to Netflix, which releases an entire season at once. The Path is a uh, is a drama that centers around a a cult, I guess, and it has a great cast. Stars Aaron Paul of Breaking Bad fame, Michelle Moynihan, Hugh Dancy, a Broadway uh, guy who was also Will Graham on Hannibal. Also has uh, Kathleen Turner and Minka Kelly from Friday Night Lights. The trailer is really intense. Lots of quick cuts, so you don't see a whole lot what's going on. But basically, Aaron Paul's character looks to go to some sort of retreat that's being led by a cult leader. He goes back, and they're trying to pull him away from his family to come join the cult that's about all i got jen did you see anything out of that trailer that i missed no i i watched it because you had mentioned it and it said from the person who brought you friday night lights and parenthood so is it jason cadams that's producing it it is yes he's one of the executive okay. producers he's not one of the creators a woman named jessica goldberg who is a playwright uh is the is the creator but jason cadams is one of the EPs. okay so on those credentials alone i will watch the pilot yeah. um i love yeah. aaron paul obvi um and yet, like you said, the cast is in. But yeah, the trailer doesn't really give you a lot, which makes me inclined to watch it more. Um, 
for instance, like I had, I'd spoken about in previous episode, the family, which told you the entire first episode in the trailer, this kind of intrigues me more like, I don't have no idea what the show is about, so I'm going to check it out. And I think that's a more brilliant marketing plan than here's everything that's going to happen. Now watch it for 45 minutes longer. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's only got ten episodes, so I feel like if they give away whole a whole episode in the first trailer, that might defeat the purpose of of releasing on a streaming service. But, uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll be tuning into it. I was not a Breaking Bad person, which we've talked about in the past, but I know how great Aaron Paul is. So to see him leading a show that has this much potential is uh, is really exciting. All right, the last thing we want to talk about returning to your TVs is the beginning of the 2016 Major League Baseball season. It, <laughs> it begins in earnest on April 3rd on ESPN with a matchup, a World Series uh, rematch between the Mets and Royals. Jen, your beloved New York Metropolitans are coming off a new, uh, National League championship, a World Series berth, and my beloved Cincinnati Reds have sold off half of their players in a rebuilding effort. So while I'm excited for baseball to be coming back, you have much more to look forward to for this season. So I know you're an obsessive baseball fan. Anyone who follows you on Twitter knows that you're an obsessive baseball fan. So tell me what you are most looking forward to with this upcoming uh, baseball season kicking off. Well, I've been a Mets fan my entire life. That's no secret. Um, and last year we had an unprecedented season since the 80s. And it was just really exciting to get caught up in the hype again. And we have a really good pitching staff. What I am afraid of is the year after the World Series it usually goes two ways. Either you are a contender again and you're right back up there or you completely um, lose everything that you built the previous year. So being a Mets fan for so long, I'm kind of prepared for the second one, <laughs> but I'm really hoping that they can keep it together and we can get back up there again. It was just a really exciting season, and uh, the Mets are coming to San Diego in May, and I'm going to go with the fan club who's traveling out here because I'm a nerd, and I get to see them at Petco Park in San Diego, so I'm super excited. All right. Good for you. Uh, my team's going to suck, but I'll still watch – Pretty much any game I can and follow along online for all the others. So that's what being a fan is about, the highs and the lows. and absolutely is. And especially with the Mets and the Reds, lots of lows. Yes, yes. We've both been through our share of, of, of down years. And I believe, did we, I think we clinched in Cincinnati last year. Who the hell cares? Okay, good talk. <laughs> Even though, as we said at the top of the episode, not a whole lot is going on in the movie world right now, I have seen a couple movies here lately, and I did just want to throw out my thoughts on each of them. One I loved, one I didn't so much love. The one I loved is 10 Cloverfield Lane. I don't want to give too much away about this plot because it's a great ride of a story. But basically, Mary Elizabeth Winstead plays Michelle, who is in a really bad car accident in the middle of nowhere in Louisiana. And when she wakes up, she's in a doomsday bunker of a survivalist named Howard, who is played by the incredible John Goodman. Once she comes to, she realizes that she's got an IV in her. He's been nursing her back to health. And Howard tells her that there was some sort of major attack that happened on Earth that has left the rest of the world uninhabitable. And because he had this doomsday bunker, he was able to survive. The story is more or less confirmed by Emmett, who is played by Tony winner John Gallagher Jr. He was a construction worker who helped Howard 
build the bunker, who worked on it. And then when the attacks happened, he ran there, pushed his way in just as Howard was closing the doors. The movie is intense, but it's smart. It's scary, but there's moments of legit humor. It's one of those movies that lulls you into thinking, oh, okay, I've seen movies like this before. I know what's going to happen. And then takes a completely unexpected turn that, in hindsight, makes perfect sense. But there is no possible way you can see it coming. It is funny. It's dark. It's twisted. It's all different types of movies rolled into one. And to me, it's the best movie of the year so far, even better than my beloved Deadpool. And John Goodman, I say it now on March 26th, and I'll say it in January of 2017, John Goodman deserves an Academy Award nomination uh, for this performance. I don't think he'll get it necessarily, but he at least deserves to be in the conversation because his performance was that good in this movie. Jen, I know this is not a movie that you are normally interested in seeing, but if you can stomach it, it's it's pretty darn good. Yeah, I'm going to take your word for it. There's not a chance I'm seeing it. I adore John John Goodman. He is wonderful, and he's long overdue for some award recognition. He's a phenomenal actor. And Mary Elizabeth Winstead, hi, Ramona Flowers, and John Gallagher Jr. All the parts are there, but yeah, no, I'll believe you. And produced by J.J. Abrams. Great. Good for him. Not going to see it. Nope. Okay. All right. Well, unfortunately, all of those good things cannot necessarily be said for the other movie I want to talk about, <laughs> and that is Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. I had my headline for my review ready to go before I saw the movie. It was going to be Batman v Superman Dawn of Mediocrity, but I don't I couldn't really use that title because I actually didn't hate this movie. I certainly didn't love it, but I didn't hate it. And believe it or not, Ben Affleck is one of the strongest parts of the movie. The first two-thirds of the movie pretty much focus closely on Batman, and Affleck more than handles his own. He is so much more interesting than the awful, wooden, boring, unrecognizable Superman by Henry Cavill and love Amy Adams, but these characters are not the Clark Kent Superman and Lois Lane that we know. These are weird, dystopian Superman and Lois Lane. There is nothing familiar or recognizable or interesting about these characters. So many things that director Zack Snyder did wrong in this movie, yet it still has, because of who these characters are, a modicum of uh, of entertainability, of interestingness. I don't want to give a whole lot away on this one either, but basically, Superman and Batman are fighting, which is obviously no surprise, and it really all comes back to the work of Lex Luthor, who is played by Jesse Eisenberg, who is the other best thing about this movie. Jesse Eisenberg is a, you know, he's been one of these guys who's, had a great career being a young guy, and now in this role, he is just so weird and bizarre as Lex Luthor that he's really fun. But there's just so many things that don't make sense in this movie. It really shows you how poorly DC and Warner Brothers handle their comic book properties as opposed to Disney and Marvel. And I'm worried that Zack Snyder's vision of these dark dystopian superheroes is going to continue to pervade this DC cinematic universe that they're building with Wonder Woman coming up with Gal Gadot is, is pretty good as Wonder Woman in this, but it's just, that's not fun for me. That's not interesting. I was not a lover of of the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. I liked them. They were much better than this, but that much darkness is very difficult to pull off in a superhero thing. I think Jessica Jones and Daredevil do it much, much better than Batman v Superman did. Hmm. I don't really have a desire to see this. I am not, I, I can't get my, wrap my head around Zack Snyder. Um, and with Marvel knocking it out of the park every single time and literally a month after Deadpool, even the trailers like, come on guys, like step it up. 
So yeah. I, I don't think I'm going to see it. Yeah, I mean, it's not good. I mean, it's just, it's not bad. It's just, it's not good. I mean, he's really, Zack Snyder is effectively working for years off of the success of 300. That's the only thing he's done that I have thought was good. I mean, he really hasn't done a whole lot else other than that. And I just uh, was not a fan, was not impressed. So if it comes down to this or just waiting for Civil War, uh, Captain America Civil War, which will have a fairly similar plot to it where superheroes face off against each other, I would just stick to Civil War if it's one or the other. Oh, definitely. The Captain America trailer seems like it would be better than this entire movie. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's, you know, and what's interesting about it is, is these are comic books. Yes, since the 90s, comic books have gotten much darker than they were at the times when Batman and Superman started. But there's literally maybe two jokes in all of Batman v Superman. And there's more legitimately funny jokes in the trailers for Marvel movies than in that. And it, it's too bad because these great characters are being left out to dry and potentially ruined, or not ruined, but damaged forever in the minds of moviegoers because they're being handled so poorly by Zack Snyder. I did enjoy um, our local radio guy here in L.A., Ralph Garman. Their show is sponsored by the producers of this movie, so he cannot comment on it. And his review was, it is a movie, it is in theaters, <laughs> and if you buy a ticket, you will see it. <laughs> well, that's fair enough. All right, per the usual, we're going to end this episode of Some Like It Pop with a little show and tell where we auditorily show you something and tell you why it fascinates us. Jen, lead us off here with show and tell. I feel like this is going to bring you satisfaction, and that is not my intent. But I have to eat my words on something because I revisited something that I didn't like and found it to be kind of amazing. Okay. And I have to give credit to NBC, and I don't like doing that because they're the devil. But I revisited the Gerard Carmichael show. Oh, yes. The reason I did was because I enjoy him as a comedian, and he appeared on the aforementioned L.A. radio show out here on K-Rock, the Kevin and Bean show. And he was talking about an episode they were going to do on Bill Cosby. And Mm. the way he described it intrigued me, so I watched it, and it was great. The thing is, is that they're kind of revisiting this whole style from the 70s and 80s where they're touching on very controversial topics without preaching about them. They're just discussing them from different viewpoints. And it's really well written and really well done because they represent every viewpoint and they still do it through comedy. So I did watch the Cosby episode and it was about Gerard himself going to see Bill Cosby do stand-up where his girlfriend refuses to go. So they had a whole episode about them discussing whether, like, these accusations destroy legends and what it does for the black community, etc. So I rewatched a bunch of them, and um, I watched that one. They had a Black Lives Matter episode. And I think it's worth looking into. It's it's a really good sitcom. It's really well-written, and even though there's a live audience, which I don't really care for, it's kind of a throwback and I enjoy it. And there was one line where he was talking, everyone, their grandfather had died and everyone was like, he was such a good man. He was this. And the one character said, you do guys, you guys remember he was a dick, right? <laughs> like they just had <laughs> this cutting edge of, of real topics. And I think it's worth a, a looking at. So I'm sorry. I misjudged it. <laughs> do you have a clip for us that I take it? I do. This is a clip from the Cosby episode that I just mentioned. 
But tonight we're celebrating because we're going to see Bill Cosby. Oh, <laughs> Joe, come on. You're not really going to go support Bill Cosby. Support? No. Enjoy. Now, I'm not going to be a character witness for this man in court. Well, Cynthia certainly doesn't want to go and see a predator who took advantage of innocent women. Do you, Cynthia? No. Right? <laughs> right. Look, Ma, it's a special day for you. If you want to come, just come. Well, how many women is it up to now? 55. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> 55 different women have all come forward. Oh, that's a high number. I shouldn't go. Right? Oh, I don't know what to do. Yeah, I, I love the Carmichael show. I haven't watched season two yet. I've got it on my Hulu, but I did watch all of the first season. And what's interesting about it is, is like you said, they talk about really modern issues, but in a very traditional sitcom format. And, and it's interesting to make the connections to Cosby because obviously it's a it's a black family. It's an African-American family. So those, you know, on that level, it's there. But even the house it's a much smaller, more more middle class house, but the layout of the house is almost identical to the layout of the house in the Cosby show, including like those windows into the kitchen that they have on Carmichael and they had on the Cosby show the with the door. swinging door. Yeah, exactly. And I, I'm sure that was not done on accident. I'm sure there is that connection there because it is very much in the format of those classic family sitcoms but like you said touches on issues that would have been impossible to do back then but are still not done very much during this time there was also a a great episode of blackish which i believe you watch don't you that was the other thing i was going to bring up was their um episode are you talking about the one with the verdict yes yeah they're doing the same kind of thing over there which is also a fantastic comedy on abc which is a better network anyway <laughs> but that's yeah a i don't know yeah, there's a great episode of, of Black as it came up recently that really was just a conversation about what it means to be black in America at this very moment. So definitely doing some great, uh, great things in comedies, and it really shows you how powerful that genre can be when it's done by people who are not only conscientious about their place in the popular culture conversation, but also people who are really smart and really talented. Amen. All right. All right. My show and tell, and I, I struggled with what to, to do in this spot. But I, there's one thing that just makes me laugh so much and gives and, and gives my heart so much warmth in so many different ways. And I am a political junkie. I listen to Sirius XM's POTUS channel all the time. I listen to uh, I listen to political podcasts every day. This is you know kind of one of the things uh, that kind of keeps me balanced from my pop pop culture stuff. But this week. <laughs> My pop culture and politics sides got mashed up together in a way that was funny at first and then kind of creepy. Uh, Jen, I don't know if you heard this, but there was a, a little bit of a Twitter beef between the, the king of all media, I guess, Donald Trump, and his Republican primary rival, Ted Cruz, that basically revolved around um, the attractiveness of their wives. Ted Cruz went on CNN and called Trump a coward and said that, well, here, I'll let you listen. And, and if Donald wants to get in a character fight, he's better off sticking with me because Heidi is way out of his league. Now, it didn't strike right away for me, not until I saw people on Twitter talking about it. But that comment is not original. Ted Cruz, I, I guess you could say paraphrased, but really plagiarized one Aaron Sorkin. And that is from the movie American President, 
where Michael Douglas defends his girlfriend played by Annette Benning to a senator played by Richard Dreyfus, and he used the exact same words. Take a listen here. If you want a character to debate Bob, you better stick with me, because Sidney Ellen Wade is way out of your league. So to me, it shows that, one, Ted Cruz is a buffoon, and uh, <laughs> he has no way to to communicate other than ripping off movies, which is fine, because I'm sure, Jen, you and I communicate with people by quoting movies, but we are not running for president of the United States. But it made me think, what other Aaron Sorkin quotes would be good for our political candidates to use? I, of course, immediately went to Donald Trump screaming, you want me on that wall, you need me on that wall. I love Aaron Sorkin, Jen. I know you're an Aaron Sorkin fan, but to see, but to see it used in our actual political dialogue was quite funny. If it wasn't so sad, then that's the thing. Like, even though you and I aren't running for president, which, by the way, what, how how good would that ticket be? <laughs> but he is, and despite the fact that he's one of two top Republican candidates, like that's what you're gonna do. You're gonna rip off movies. Oh, God, we're just we're just an idiocracy. I don't know what's happening. Yeah, idiocracy. Who would have known? It's a documentary. Yes, yeah, seriously. Uh, <laughs> it, it really is. If you haven't seen that movie, it's uh, it's Luke Wilson. How, what, what year is it supposed to be? Is it 100 years in the future? Is it like 2105? So. Yeah. Something like that. He goes back and it goes into 2105 and it's turned out that basically the world has devolved into a reality show and everyone's an idiot. And there's like Terry Crews plays a plays the president, but he's a wrestler. He's a MMA fighter or a professional wrestler. Yeah, it's it it is basically <laughs> so, our modern American political oh, culture. Oh God, it's so scary. Oh well, well Jen, this has been a wonderful episode of Some Like It Pop. Why don't you close us out here? Okay, well that's Some Like It Pop for now. I am Eponine Q on Twitter, and Matt is BWW Matt. You can always find us on Broadway World, writing about all of our obsessions, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter at S L I P Podcast. That's at Slip Podcast. And until next time, always remember, I have a real problem. Twenty people said they liked me. And I'm telling you, I'd still be thinking 17 of them are lying, two of them probably have severe emotional problems, and one of them is probably confusing me with Larry King. And that was said by Larry Sanders, R.I.P. Gary Shandling. This is the theme to Gary's show. The theme to Gary's show. (laughs) Erstwhile Chuck Butter... Damn it. Chuck... uh, How do you say his last name? Bukowski? Sorry, 15. I didn't write notes down for Empire. Can you tell?